I forgot to say at the beginning of last week that we're doing a little mini-series this December, looking at Luke 2. It's entitled Encounters with Jesus. So last week we thought about the angels and the shepherds and Mary from the beginning of Luke 2, the joy, the hope and wonder of Christmas. This week we're thinking about Simeon, mainly Simeon, from this passage that we've just been reading. And our thoughts are going to be on the theme of peace this morning, peace. So last week, joy, hope and wonder. This week, just peace. Probably the most famous question that is asked at a Miss World contest is, what is the most important thing that society needs? What's the most important thing that society needs? And of course, the most famous answer to this question is, of course, world peace. We need world peace. And no matter how much mocking those poor girls get for not being so bright or not knowing the first thing about how to bring world peace, I would suggest that they're absolutely right. The greatest need for society is indeed world peace. None of us would dare say that our world is all okay and fine, we heard in our prayers just then, didn't we, that there's, there's just war and there's chaos and there's problems and there's needs all over the world as well as right here in our own city. We live in a world ravaged with war and famine and disease and conflict and natural disasters, all things that just leave us with a lack of peace. Thinking closer to home, our own society is broken and there's conflict in our community between neighbours, abuse going on between one another, Within families, there's breakdown within families, between husbands and wives, between children and parents. What about our own selves and our own hearts as well? So often we lack peace in our inner self. Maybe we lack peace because we're worried about finances. We lack peace because we're feeling ill or depressed. We lack peace because of identity issues or loneliness. These all things that produce conflict within our own hearts and and there's an absence of peace, but there's a real longing for peace. There's a longing for some kind of solution, for some kind of hope, a respite, some answer to all that goes on. From war and enmity and distress out in our world, war between one another, war within our own hearts, it makes for a sad picture of life. And a real desperation and a need for some kind of peace. And so, as has been suggested by Miss World, people have done all their best to try and bring peace in our world. I'm sure you can think of many inspirational characters throughout history who have done their best to bring peace in their own context, whether that's Martin Luther King, Mother Teresa, John Lennon, or organizations like the UN who seek to bring um, peace and the rights for humans. The Nobel Peace Prize is a prize that's given annually for people or organizations that have made an exceptional effort to promote or to bring peace in a certain context. This year's Nobel Peace Prize was awarded just this last week. And uh, forgive my pronunciation, but Kalash Satyati and Malala Yousafzai were recognized for their efforts in fighting for the rights of children and the rights for children's education. That is what this year's prize went to. 
And of course, all their work has done a, a good effort. It's, it's been made public and, and people have sought to, to come alongside and, and to help and encourage them. And I'm sure they've brought peace to a certain extent. But we still live in a world where there is no peace. Where there's still conflict between countries and nations. And there's still war in our own hearts. But what about us individually? How do we seek to find peace ourselves? Some people turn to religion to find their answer, to something beyond this world. Some have gone for the pursuit of pleasure. If I'm frustrated and there's no peace in my heart, then I need to have some kind of relief of all that, and pleasure will bring me that peace. Whatever it is, often we become selfish and we strive for our own selfish ambition to get what it is that we want to relieve ourselves of the distress that is in our lives. But whatever it is that we try in life, none of these things seem to last. Nothing seems to deal with the real issue. And so the question remains, where can I find peace? Where can I find a peace that lasts and isn't just temporary? I want to argue this morning from our passage that the real answer to knowing peace is, first of all, found in identifying our real problem. See, there we have war in our world and conflict on our families and distress and anguish in our own lives. These are just symptoms of a deeper problem, a deeper issue that's within all of, all of us. And you know that that's sin. The problem of sin that enmity between us and God, that's the real issue, the first thing that needs to be dealt with. He's the one that we're really at war with. Because of our sin and our rebellion, we have alienated ourselves from God. We're out of relationship with him, and, and we want to live our lives in a way that, that we were not created for. We want to live our lives in a way that opposes the world, and so that's what brings conflict. War in the world, war in our hearts, because we want to be king. We want to live lives the way we want. And when we don't get our own way, then we'll fight to get it. So the real problem is sin. And so the real and true answer is Jesus. This baby that has come. And so as we look through our passage, firstly we'll have a look at Jesus and the expectation of peace. Jesus and the expectation of peace. Peace isn't a theme that just comes in this passage, but it's also throughout Luke so far in chapters 1 and 2, we see glimpses of this peace that's promised, this peace that is coming. If you have a Bible, flick back with me to the beginning of Luke's Gospel. Right there in chapter 1, verse 16, The angel has come and announced to Zechariah that he's going to have this son, and this son is going to be the, the foreshadow, the leading up to the Messiah. This son will bring peace. He'll restore broken relationships. For example, verse 16. He will bring back many people, people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he'll go before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn their hearts of their parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So part of John's work is to bring peace amongst one another and then to prepare people for the peace that's going to come from Jesus. 
flick over the page to Zechariah's song. After John is born, Zechariah prophesies and he, and he proclaims these words, verse 68. <coughs> Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and to redeem them. He has raised up the horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. And then he ends his prophecy, verses 78 and 79. Because of the tender mercy of God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven, to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. John was the prophet who was leading towards the one who would bring peace. Last week in chapter 2, we saw with the angels that they came to bring a message of peace. They sang glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those in whom his favor rests. And so the people are expecting this peace. Mary and Joseph, they, they knew it. But today we meet this character called Simeon. He's, this is the only time we ever meet him in the Bible in Luke chapter 2, and, and he is expecting peace. Read with me in verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon. He was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Simeon, a Jew, righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. The consolation, the comfort, the restoration of Israel. As we read through the passage today, uh, we realize that Simeon is this man who has soaked himself in the book of Isaiah. There are lots and lots of quotations or allusions to the book of Isaiah, and we'll look at them in turn as they, as they come up. This idea of consolation and comfort is there several times in the book of Isaiah. So Simeon's obviously been reading this lots, waiting for the Messiah to come. Isaiah 40, for example, begins, Comfort, comfort, my people, says the Lord. Isaiah 49, Shout for joy, you heavens, rejoice, you earth, burst into song, you mountains, for the Lord comforts his people. Isaiah 51, the Lord will surely comfort Zion and will look with compassion on all her ruins. Isaiah 52, burst into song with joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. And then finally, Isaiah 66, as a mother comforts her child, so will I comfort you. And you will be comforted over Jerusalem. So there's this hope, this expectation, this longing for peace, for comfort, for consolation to come to Israel. This nation that is oppressed and under the rule of the Romans. Simeon knows it, he's waiting for it. He's probably an old man and he's experienced all the lack of peace in his own land. Mary and Joseph, they know it. The whole reason they've come to the temple, in verse 22, is because 
there is this need for consolation because of the law of Moses. This temporary solution that's been given to them to solve this problem between them and God, this conflict, this sin problem. They make sacrifices. Mary's just given birth, so she's ceremonially unclean, so she needs to make sacrifices to make things right. They come to present their firstborn child, like all good Jews, to present him to Jesus. Because they were commanded in Exodus to do so as a, a, a reminder of what God had done for them at the Exodus in redeeming them by killing the firstborn. And all these things, there's just evidence of the problem that people have, the problem that Israel has, this enmity towards God, this need for consolation, need for hope. But then you get Simeon. And with Simeon comes this greater expectation because he's been promised something special. Do you see it? Verse 26. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Wow, what a privilege to be told that you will not die until you see the Messiah. No, it's going to happen in your lifetime. What a, what, a, what a privilege. Hundreds of years have gone by since Israel was at peace in their own land. 400 years have gone by before God has even spoken. And now the promised hope, the promised Messiah is literally around the corner. So Simeon, is, he's there every day waiting for this Messiah to appear. But we know that this problem of sin this problem of enmity between people and God is, it's not just for Israel, but it's for all people. Way back there in the Garden of Eden, the sin of the first two people would lead to affect the whole of human race. But we also know that the promise given, the promise given to Abraham would reach to the end of the world. All people will be blessed through him. The seed that would come to bring salvation for all people, because all people need this peace with God. This peace with God can only come and is only provided through Jesus. And so secondly, Jesus and the provision of peace. When I was living in Poland, my hairdresser, <laughs> told me about this philosophy, this idea, this program that she was trying called The Secret. You may have heard of it. Basically, the basic concept is that through the power of positive thinking, the law of attraction, you can change your life. Okay, the advertising video is so convincing in telling you that by removing all the neg negativity from your life, by being positive, you can get whatever you want. And they showed you stories and testimonies of people who had tried this and had seen success. People who had got money, people who got the house they always wanted, the car they dreamed of. They'd found their right partner in marriage. They found all, everything they ever wanted in life was, was there because they followed the secrets. And so should you. Sounds pretty good. But what they don't tell you in the video is that you still have to work for this. You have to work hard to be able to earn the money to get that house you want. It's not going to fall into your lap. What they don't tell you in the video is that to get what you want, 
often comes at the cost of other people. And what, what they don't tell you in the video is that even once you've got the stuff you wanted, you'll still be left wanting more. The secret is incredibly self-centered. It's incredibly materialistic. There's all absence of anything to do with God. It's all about you and what you want in life. But isn't that just the story of, of all of us, naturally in our own hearts, that we want what we, we want. And even if that's the cost of other people, it doesn't matter. You see, the, the search for peace, any kind of search for peace, for happiness, for wholeness in our life, it's ultimately going to fall, it's going to fail, because it, it either won't last, it'll let you down, it'll cause you harm, or it just won't satisfy any search for peace in life will, will still find its opposition in, in some way. And, and that opposition will just cause more conflict and more war. And you're just left in a worse position. You see, because our peace is not because we're not happy in life. It's because we're out of relationship with the God who created us. It's him we are at war with. And it's, it's him who has come to bring that peace through his son. And so at Christmas we see this Brilliant example of peace, an action of peace. God, who has created a world, but yet a world who's rebelled against him, who hates him. Yet God, in his humility, in his love, in his compassion, comes as a baby. Comes to bring peace, to offer peace to us. We're the ones who cause the problem, but he's the one who brings the peace. And say for Simeon, he meets this Jesus. Verse 27, read it with me. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was custom for the law, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Simeon is holding in his arms that promised Messiah, the one who he was told he would see before he died. And he praises God. He sees, I have seen your salvation. Literally in my arms is your salvation. A salvation that's for all the nations. It's not just for me as a Jew, it's for all people. This Jesus who's come with the hope of the world, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, meaning that it's not for them, they, they can see it, they can be a part of this great work of redemption that God is doing. And Jesus is there for the glory of Israel. This nation that's been suppressed, that's been laughed at, that's been abused, that's so small and insignificant, but yet has been promised such great things. Wow, now is its time for glory. The God of Israel will come, has come to be the king. God gets the glory as well. Simeon, as he's saying these things, as he's praying, as he's praying, he's praising God, he is thinking about Isaiah. Isaiah 52. The Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all nations, and the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. Isaiah 42, 
I will make you, Israel, a light to the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. The whole world can now partake in this salvation, this peace that is brought, that is offered. Peace in our world, peace with God, is only found in Jesus. Why? Because he has dealt with the real issue, the real problem, the real obstacle that is between us and God. He's dealt with sin. Jesus on the cross has paid the price for the punishment of sin. He's redeemed us from slavery. He's set us free from the distress and pain. He's come to not only set us free, but to reconcile us to God, that wonderful word of peace. Reconciling us, bringing us back into a right relationship. Taking away the, the wrath and the enmity. The danger of hell is gone. And peace, peace with God has come. It's come to bring peace, consolation, restoration. God has brought peace between us and him, but he's also brought peace between mankind. So the Jew and Gentile will no longer be enemies, but can be one in Christ. I love Ephesians chapter 2 that it explains this wonderfully. That God has come in Christ not only to, to break down the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, to, but to bring people together, to bring people into Christ, to be one new humanity, thus making peace. Paul tells us that Christ preached peace to those who were near, and he preached peace to those who were far off, bringing them together, bringing them into one household of God. They'd grow together in unity. Peace among one another can only be possible when there's peace with God. All can be reconciled with God. There's no favoritism, there's no hierarchy. We're all one in Christ. The world wants peace. The Middle East for example, wants peace, has been searching for peace for decades, for centuries. But peace will not come in that region until it comes in Christ. There'll always be obstacles. There'll always be personal ambition. There'll always be religious differences. There'll always be something standing in the way of peace. Because only Jesus brings real peace. Of all the peace plans in all the world, until people recognize that their common enemy is not one another, but is sin, then peace will never work. When there's peace with God, there is then peace, or there can be peace with one another. Many of you will remember the, the horrendous genocide in Rwanda in 1994. Two tribes fighting against one another, Hutus and the Tutsis. Thousands of people killed, massacred. Tribe against tribe, family against family, neighbor against neighbor. But however, many years later, after the gospel had been preached, there are some incredible stories of peace that has come. I have a Rwandan friend and he tells me, 
that in a church there in Rwanda, there are men and women who were once at war with one another. One man from this family kills someone from this family, and yet in Christ, they stand together in church and they worship. Because in the gospel, they found peace with God, their real enemy, and then Christ, they're together and they found peace with one another. And that's the testimony of the gospel. That's the testimony of the power of the gospel, the difference that peace can make only in Christ. That families who were once mortal enemies are now best of friends in Christ. True peace can only be found in Jesus. Are you searching for true peace? Is there conflict in your own life? Is there conflict in your family? Is there conflict in your neighborhood? As Christians, we find peace with God. We know what it is to be free from that enmity towards him. We've seen his peace towards us, and therefore we know what it means to give peace to others. When there's peace in our own hearts, our whole outlook on life changes. It's no longer about us. It's no longer about satisfying our own needs, but it's about pleasing the Lord. When there's peace in our own hearts, it means that we're able to show peace to others, to follow the example of Christ in loving and in caring and being sacrificial and being compassionate in showing humility about putting ourselves aside and loving the other person. That's what it means to bring peace. Christ came to provide that peace. And only in him is it found. So Jesus, the expectation of peace. Jesus, the provision of peace. And thirdly, Jesus and our response to peace. After Simeon has prayed to God and has revealed this global mission for God's plan of salvation... He then turns to Mary, and he brings to Mary some rather uncomfortable and shocking news. Look at verse 34. This child is destined to cause the fall, falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken of against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. This child, the savior of the world, has come to bring, to bring it for everyone. And yet not everyone is going to accept it. Not everybody will follow this Jesus. It's destined that some will fall away. Some will reject it. Some will not truly find that lasting peace that they've been longing for. They're waiting for this Messiah. He's come, but yet they're going to reject him. Whether Simeon means the fall, some will fall and others will rise, or whether the falling and rising are the same people, that's disputed. It doesn't really matter. What matters is that some will fall. Jesus will be a sign that will be spoken of against. He'll bring division. And we see it as we read through the Gospels. We see right there, straight away, people are opposing Jesus. And they're, they're against him, and ultimately, they crucify him. But right near the beginning of this child's life, Mary is 
as we thought last week, is pondering and wondering these, these amazing thoughts, these promises that have been given about her son. And yet now she's being told that her son will not be liked by everybody. He will be rejected. And for Mary herself, she will suffer as she witnesses, as she looks on to all that they do to Jesus. She will suffer herself. She herself, like a Jew, will have to decide, will she accept her son? Will she follow him? But the rejection of the Messiah is not a surprise. It's not something unexpected. But it's something that we get again in Isaiah. The Old Testament tells us that the Messiah will come, he will cause people to fall and stumble. Isaiah 8 talking about this Messiah that will come. He will be a holy place, both for Israel and Judah. He will be a stone that will cause people to stumble, a rock that makes them fall. And for the people of Jerusalem, he will be a trap, a snare. Many of them will stumble and they will fall and be broken. They'll be snared and captured. Jesus will be the stone that will cause offense. But, but why? He's the promised one. He's the Messiah. He's the one that they're looking for, the hoped one. And, but yet he's the one who will be rejected. Jesus has come to give peace, and yet people need to respond to his offer of peace. Will we accept it? Will we accept it? Will we recognize our own hostility towards God and will we trust in him and trust in his provision for peace? Friends, if you are someone who is yearning for peace in your life and you just don't know where to find it, find it with God. Find it in Christ. Find it in Christ because, first of all, your real problem is your enmity towards God. That we've sinned and rebelled against him and that we are out of relationship with him and there are eternal consequences for that. But yet, in Christ, that can all be taken away. There can be true and lasting peace. We can have all the possessions in the world. We can be happy as, as Larry. But if there's no peace in our very own soul, then there will never be peace. We can set up all the organizations that we want. We can campaign for all human rights. But once one situation is sorted, another will just arise. We can put into action all the positive thinking that we want and try and change our life that way. But it will come at the cost of other people. And it won't last. We can join a religion and we can try and earn our peace. But that will we'll mess up and we'll fall and we'll fail. And we'll just be unhappy. True peace is first of all finding the true problem and dealing with that. But for us as Christians, finding peace in God doesn't mean that life is going to be a bed of roses. Of course, that's not the promise. The Bible doesn't tell us that have peace with God and it comes with happiness and freedom and no anxiety and all your needs, needs met. All we have to do is think about the persecuted church because for many people who found peace with God, it's also led to war against other people. But yet in Christ, in the midst of war, 
in the midst of war in our world and war in our community and war in our hearts, there is still peace. As Paul tells us in Philippians, there is a peace that surpasses all understanding. It doesn't make sense in human thinking. There's such turmoil, but there's such peace. As we come to God, as we ask and seek and search for him, he brings that peace. When we have peace with God, we can join with Simeon. Verse 29. Look at these amazing words. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For Simeon, that was it. He had seen God's salvation. He'd seen all that he'd been waiting for. His hope, his longing, the promise of God, the most important thing in the world was right in his arms. Nothing else mattered. He'd seen Jesus. He knew that all of God's promises would be fulfilled. He knew that God's salvation was here, that everything was going to be okay. That his problem with sin was going to be dealt with. That his hope of eternal life was going to be done. He was secure. And so he could die in peace. My last remaining grandparent died at the beginning of this year. And my dad was telling me of how my grandma was, who was in a, a home suffering from cancer. The nurses heard her calling out and she said, I, I want to go home, I want to go home. And the nurses said to my dad, I, I think she says she, she wants to get back to her house in Birkenhead. Well, my dad reassured them that that's not what she meant. When she says she wants to go home, what she means, she wants to go to heaven. She wants to go home to be with Jesus. Why? Because although there was war in her body, destroying her body, she was at peace. Not peace with how she was living, but at peace with God. Peace in her soul. And so, for all of us, one day we will die. Maybe you are near that time now. How are you preparing for that? Are you at peace? For the Christian, like Simeon, there is peace with God, and therefore there can be a longing for heaven. There can be a peace knowing that what comes next is going to be okay. Not because of what we've done, but because it's all been done for us. Christ, as a baby, came to bring that peace. And so, dismiss your servant in peace. Is that in our hearts? There might never be peace in our world in this life. There probably won't. But in Christ, there is true and there is lasting peace. Peace that will go on for eternity. But yet, that eternity starts now. We can know true peace now. And so, as we ask that question from the beginning again, what is the most important thing that our society needs this Christmas? It's not that dream gift you always wanted. It's not that wonderful roast turkey on Christmas Day. It's not a reunion with family 
It's not those wonderful movies on television. It's not a chance to rest from busyness of work. But it's peace. Peace not through the UN, not through Miss World, not through peace treaties, not through the secret, but peace in Christ, who brings comfort and reconciliation and restoration and hope. And so when there is peace with God, there can be peace with one another. And one day there will be peace forever. Let's pray. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that you sent your Son to bring the gospel of peace. Not that we could live in tranquility and in niceness and rest and peace and quiet in life. Not that kind of peace, but real peace because of the real enemy of sin in our lives. Because of that problem we have of being separated from you because of our sin. Thank you so much that you did not turn your back on us, but that you, in love and in grace and in humility, showed us that peace. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you lived a wonderful life demonstrating that peace. And that through your death, that dividing wall, that curtain in the temple was torn in two. And a way open to God was made free and available for all of us. I thank you that through faith we can come and accept that peace. To know what it means to be in a right relationship with you. And to therefore know what it really means to live in this world. To honour you and to please you rather than pleasing ourselves. And so Lord, help us. Help us, Lord, in the midst of our own wars. Our own conflicts. Help us, Lord, to know true and lasting peace. A peace that surpasses all understanding. That doesn't make sense because of what we go through, but it makes sense because of who we believe in. We thank you for the testimony of that man who had lost his family and yet writes in his song, It is well with my soul. Lord, may that be our experience that we can say, It is well with my soul because of Jesus Christ. And in his name we pray. Amen.